Thank you, worship ministry. It's good to see you all here this morning. I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter number two. Genesis chapter number two as we continue together in our series on the family, looking today at marriage. Looking today at marriage, of course, this will be part one. There will be several parts to this marriage portion of the guide to the family. And also, as you can see, we're continuing to look at Genesis. Genesis is so foundational for how we understand honestly the rest of the Bible and for something as fundamental as the family, and particularly for our case today, we want to look at the original blueprint laid out by God for marriage. With that said, uh, our main statement is this, is that it doesn't work like it used to, talking about marriage. Have you ever said that about something? Man, it just doesn't work like it used to, or they don't, they don't make them like they used to make them. How many of you have heard this statement before? Love conquers all. You heard that one before? I think we all have. Frankly, if you listen to any country music song that's out there, that if it's not about alcohol, it's about marriage or a relationship between a man and a woman, and that how ultimately the love between a man and a woman, according to country music, is the answer to all of life's problems. Of course, I know you've heard this before, but you know, you know what happens when you play a country music song backwards it's amazing you get your ex back you get your dog back you get your life back interesting yeah but we have this idea that a relationship and a love between a man and a woman fixes everything in fact we teach it to our children some of us unknowingly so um, I have little girls at my house and so because of that we watch a lot of little girl movies um, for instance, we watch a movie called Snow White, where she, you ever broken down, by the way, the movies that we let our children watch, like wander into the woods and take up residence with seven strange men? No big deal. No questions. Um... And she ultimately dies, but you know what? She is awoken from a kiss from a man that she's never met before. And they sail off into their castle in the sky and the clouds and live happily ever after. Love conquers all. Oh, there's, a, there's another one. Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. She never met the man. She met him once upon a, do you remember? A dream. I met him in my dream. And yet at the end of it all, when he awakens her, a lot of death going on here, but when he awakens her from the kiss, they live happily ever after as prince and princess, and ultimately, I guess, king and queen. Uh, another one, personal favorite, the Little Mermaid. I mean, if that doesn't capture, and we let, I let my children watch it. I mean, my goodness, I watch it with them. But I mean, really, let's think about what this girl does. She meets this boy 
on the beach while she's kind of naked, one time, one time, and then it leads her to rebel against her father, her parental authority, to sell her soul to a sea witch in exchange for her voice to give her life and love to a man she met one time. And we let our children watch that stuff. Love conquers all. So whether we actually tell them this, there is this suspicion we have in our hearts that, man, if there's a man and a woman and there's love, what could possibly go wrong? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. If you'd like to follow along in your copy of the Lord's Word, please do so. Verse 18, this is when God is making the man and the woman. He's speaking to the man at this point. He's already made the man. And the Lord God said it's not good that the man should be alone. Remember that statement? I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The Lord, the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man the man said this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she will be called woman because she was taken out of man therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Our statement this morning is this, is it doesn't work like it used to. Principle number one is marriage is God's design for human flourishing in the Garden of Eden. Why do we have a thing called marriage? Why is it that there is such thing as man and such thing as woman and such thing as family? It's because God made it that way. God not only made it this way, he designed it specifically for life and human flourishing here on the earth, in particularly the Garden of Eden. Marriage from the beginning was designed to be a harmonious completeness. Marriage was designed to be a harmonious completeness i want you to look on the screen at verse 18 then the lord god said it is not good that the man should be alone i will make him a helper fit for him some translations say it this way and this is the idea that it's capturing that i will make a helper for him which is his opposite meaning i am going to complete the man because as he is alone he is incomplete so God made woman. 
Marriage is designed to be a harmonious completeness. Number two, under this first principle, is this. Is marriage was designed to also be a shared sovereignty. Marriage was designed to be a shared sovereignty. Now, I'm not talking about capital S sovereignty as God is sovereign over all things. <coughs> what I'm talking about is the rule which God gave humanity in the Garden of Eden to rule over all of his creation. Lowercase s, sovereignty. Now, what's interesting is when you read it, you say, well, God gave the authority to the man, not the woman. He told the man to rule, not the woman. Well, that's not at all what the Bible says. The Bible says in Genesis 1.28, it'll be on the screen. I want you to see it. And God blessed them and said to him, no, them, be fruitful and multiply and fill, that's a plural verb, the earth and subdue, that's also plural, it's talking about more than one person, and subdue it and have dominion, that's also plural, meaning all of these words to multiply and fill to subdue and to have dominion concern not just the man, but the man and the woman. So God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God made this relationship to be a harmonious completeness that the woman would create excuse me, the woman would complete the man and that together they would rule over creation. I like what Matthew Henry points out in his commentary. Of course, it's been long said. You've probably heard it before. But that woman was not made out of something off of the head of man that she should be over him, nor from the foot of man that she should be under him but taken from a rib close to his heart, from the middle of him that she might protect and guard him. That's what Matthew Henry points out. And when we look at how marriage was designed, it was designed to be a harmonious completeness with shared sovereignty, but there's also one more thing, is that this marriage in Genesis 2 was free from guilt, competition, shame and deceit it absolutely did not exist how do we know that well genesis chapter 2 and verse 25 look at chapter 2 and verse <coughs> 25 and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed now um it's hard for us to get our minds uh, it's still even in western culture today you, if you walk around in downtown Tupelo without clothes on, you're going to get some looks. In fact, you're probably going to get arrested, right, for indecent, indecent exposure. But even us in Western culture, we have been affected deeply by the Greco-Roman world, which did not see a problem with nudity. However, to ancient Jews, this Bible is written first and foremost to ancient Jews. I don't know if you've been to the Middle East recently, but they cover up really, really well. Could you imagine 
how an ancient Jew would have read this and how they would have tried to think about how could it have been possible to be fully exposed and totally unashamed. Martin Luther pointed that out in this way. He said, it tells you just how evil the world has become. Because it would be, in Martin Luther's mind, madness to walk about without clothes. But in this pre-fall world, the man and the woman were totally unclothed, totally vulnerable for, before each other, and felt no need to hide, no need to con conceal themselves, their appearance, or anything about them. It was a totally open and honest relationship. Ancient Jews would have seen this and marveled at the fact that these two people were naked and unashamed at the same time. So marriage is God's design for human flourishing in the Garden of Eden. It was designed to be a harmonious completeness. It was designed to be a shared sovereignty. And it was designed to be free from guilt, competition, shame, and deceit. All they had to do was live on love. That's all they needed. There's no problems. They have everything they need in the garden. There's no reason to hide from each other. Why? Because there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no sin. No any of that. But let's keep going in our story. Principle number two is this. A Garden of Eden marriage is not possible in the wilderness. Now I want to remind you, I've been talking about the wilderness a lot. The wilderness is where... God sent Adam and Eve after he expelled them from the garden. And it is where you and I find ourselves today. The wilderness, capital W wilderness, so to speak, is the place which is outside the Garden of Eden. And what I want to submit to you today is a Garden of Eden marriage is just simply not possible in the wilderness. Friends, marriage doesn't work like it used to work. For instance, the design for the Genesis 2 marriage was addressing one issue. Do you remember the issue that the marriage was supposed to solve? It was one issue and one issue alone. Genesis 2.18 Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. So God made him a helper to complete him. And God made marriage to address one problem, loneliness. That's why marriage came into being, according to the scripture. So the design for a, the Genesis 2 marriage, which we say is, what is a Genesis 2 marriage? It's one man, one woman that God brings together to become one flesh for life. Was there to address one problem. Loneliness. But friends, we don't live in the Garden of Eden anymore. We live somewhere else. We live in the wilderness. Which brings us to the little pep talk we're going to get this morning, each of us. In fact, I told my assistant this week, I said, somebody is going to accuse me of meddling in their life Sunday. They said, why do you say that? I said, because Typing this out in my office, I feel like this sermon is meddling in my life. <laughs> so if you feel like I'm meddling in your life, just believe it's the Holy Spirit because it, it messed with me this week writing all these things down. So the post-Genesis 3 marriage faces a host of issues. Now what does post-Genesis 3 mean? 
Well, in Genesis 2, there's no sin. In Genesis 3, sin has entered the human race. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and then they face God, they face God and they are told what their consequences are going to be. So, again, the design for the Genesis 2 marriage was addressing one issue. But we don't live in a Genesis 2 world. We live in a Genesis 3 world where there's not one issue, there's a thousand issues. And we're going to talk about a few of them. First is this. Guilt, shame, and deception are now normative to the human experience. When marriage was made and designed... These things didn't exist. But now, they are normative to human experience. Listen to Genesis 3, 8. This is after Adam and Eve sinned. And it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. What are they doing? Well, they're experiencing guilt. They're also now experiencing shame. They're hiding their nakedness. They're hiding from God. Also, not only guilt and shame, but deception. They're trying to get away with what they have done. Guilt, shame, and deception are now normative to the human experience. So if you think for a minute, That love is just going to conquer all. And if you just marry him or marry her and just solving the problem of, well, it's better than that and being alone. Let me tell you who you married. You married someone who wrestles with guilt, someone who wrestles with shame, and you married a liar. Now, keep in mind, my wife married one too. I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm pointing at all of us. This is the reality of life outside of Eden. Also, mutual trust and respect are replaced with distrust and suspicion. Mutual trust and respect, remember they were to be the harmonious completeness. These things have now been replaced with distrust and suspicion. Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Meaning, God, I realized I was naked, and I don't know if I can trust you with my nakedness. Not only that, I don't know if I can trust Eve with my nakedness either. Why? Because I don't want her to see me the way I am, whatever it is. That's distrust and suspicion. Well, if you really knew the truth about me, would you still love me and care about me? It's better that I hide from you. Because if you knew the truth, would you still love and accept me? Don't think these things don't affect us in our marriages. Instead of trust and respect, there's distrust and suspicion. If my husband really knew, if my wife really knew, well, they better not find out. Oh, my goodness, it might lead. All of that is the result right here from Genesis 3. Don't think it started with your marriage. It started long before you and me ever came to be. Also, personal responsibility is replaced 
with the blame game. Personal responsibility is replaced with the blame game. When God confronts Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 11 through 13, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? By the way, is that a yes or no question? <coughs> yes. It's yes or no. But listen how they answer. Well, the man said, well, the woman you gave to be with me, which that's two mistakes. <laughs> it's her fault. And God, it's also your fault, too, because you gave her to me in the first place. I know I talk about my family a lot. Uh, it's just the world that I'm in right now. Um, so I, I hate to belabor you with stories about my family. I don't obviously tell stories about my wife or my older children, but <laughs> the younger ones don't know any better, so they can't be offended. But um, I was at Scarlet's Donuts this past week, and uh, we were in there in the donut shop, and I had a, an episode in there with a, a man um, not, I didn't have an episode with him. I don't tell, goodness, let me back up. I saw a man that I knew who was a pastor, and we started talking, and my children started playing, and playing included opening the refrigerators, pulling out all of the drinks, setting them out, running around, making a mess, and we go to Scarlet's Donuts three times a week. We're regular customers, okay? But I only spend $1.42 there every day because you can get half a dozen donuts, for $1.42, and I give each of them three. So it's not like even though we go every day, we're keeping the doors open. And I was, they could at any time see, say, we don't want you all to come back. But, but anyway, my children were just being a, a ruckus. It was just terrible. And then I couldn't do anything about it, and they knew I couldn't do anything about it because this guy knew me. And uh, anyway, we finally got out. And I got him in the car, and I, I told Lucy, I said, Lucy, honey, that is no way to act. Absolutely no way to act. She said, Dad, Dad, we wanted you to look at us and pay attention to us, but you would not pay attention to us. So because of that, Dad, we made bad choices. <laughs> that is verbatim what she said. Dad, we only did this because you weren't watching us, all right? And I sat there, and I was thinking about this sermon that's coming, and I was like, how about that? So nothing changes, all right? But I've done this too, right? Notice the man said, it was the woman that you gave me, God. Okay, well, what does the woman say? Well, she's the one. She's going to take responsibility, clean up this mess. Uh, what does she say? Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is that? Is it that you have done? And the woman said, listen, the serpent deceived me. So personal responsibility, which by the way, don't think, well, men are better at that or women are better at that. No, no, it is common to humanity. Personal responsibility has been now replaced by he did it, she did it. It's just the way it goes. Also, another thing, another problem is <coughs> the family has an enemy sworn to hostility who will always be nipping at their heels. Here's another problem with the Genesis 3 marriage. 
Genesis 3, 14 through 15, And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What are we told? That your seed woman, your children, your family, there is always going to be somebody out there nipping at your heels, wanting to destroy your family and destroy you as a person. Because... In Genesis 2, there was no evil dark force nipping at their heels. There was a temptation which took place. But now post-Genesis 3, there is a struggle and hostility. And friends, I don't want to over-spiritualize spiritual warfare. But I also, God forbid, don't want to under-spiritualize spiritual warfare. And let me just tell us all a newsflash. Is the devil wants to destroy your marriage and steal your kids. This should not be a shock to any of us. But we see in Genesis 3 that we now have an adversary that is openly hostile towards us. And the scripture says, you and I have an enemy to our family. And it's none other than Satan himself. The next thing is this. Another thing that family is hard, childbirth will now be painful. Listen to Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What is it now? Well, it's going to be hard to deliver a baby. But then it gets worse. Childbirth is painful, but raising children is worse. It's harder than the birth. Why? Because in pain you shall bring forth children. The theologians tell us this is likely not referring to childbirth here. This is talking about the work of raising them. The work of raising them. It's hard. You want to pull your hair out at times. You know, listen, it's difficult. It will cost you something. We'll come back to that in just a second. But that childbirth is painful and raising children is worse. It's difficult. And this is all a part of this happily ever after marriage. Also, another one. A wife's desires tend to be at odds with her husband because of Genesis 3. Notice it says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Men, do not say amen. All right. I know there were a few of you who were like, man, I'm glad we came to church today. <laughs> but listen, we're not to the men yet. That's why you're thinking that. But it says your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Have you ever wondered, like, why does, as a woman, why does he think so different? What's wrong with him? Why can't he just get, it'd just be better if I made his the decisions for him because he can't even he doesn't even know what he's doing do you know what that is that's the curse that's a genesis 3 world that's a genesis 3 world your desire is contrary to your husband what does that lead to disagreement which often can lead to an argument 
All right? Well, let's talk about the husbands. Well, a husband tends to dominate his wife. Listen to what it says. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And in pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, here's something to note. Remember, they were told together to rule the earth. It's not until sin enters the picture that man is said that he's going to rule over woman. Like this whole thing has been messed up because of sin. A husband tends to dominate his wife, that she will have desires contrary to him. And yet the scripture says if he's allowed to have his way, he will have the final say and dominate her. That's just what the scripture says. Also, that a husband tends not to listen to his wife. Now, I know there's women in here that are probably like, man, I'm so glad he came to church today. All right. Genesis 3, 17. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to your wife. And we're going to see throughout the rest of the Bible, there will be story after story of men not listening to their wives because they're now suspect and suspicious of what their wives say. It's all because of the curse. It's because of the curse. Remember, she is created and was created to be his helper. But now it's, I don't know. Or he doesn't even hear her. He does not even hear her. A husband tends to not listen to his wife. Also, that human life is filled now with pain. Listen to Genesis 3, 17. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So that human life, as opposed to being in the place of flourishing, is now in a difficult place, a place of pain. So rather than having going off into the castle in the clouds and having a happily ever after, when you get married, I can promise you, you're going to have one thing, pain. It's what the scripture says. If you get married, you're going to have problems. There's going to be pain. Also, not only that, the ground is at odds with the husband's work. Interestingly enough, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were in our soul series, is that work was given to man as a gift that he might have fulfillment in what he does with the work of his hands. But now listen to Genesis 3.18. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. The ground is now at odds with the husband's work, and to make matters worse, a husband's work to feed himself and his family ultimately kills him. Listen to Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Here's the curse. It's, sir, you're going to have to work hard all of your life to scratch to make a living. And then you know what all of it's going to do to you? It's going to raise your blood pressure. It's going to change your health status. And you're going to die earlier than you should have. Why? Because life is going to be hard. The job is going to kill you. Now, 
Don't think for a minute men, women get off free. No, the kids are going to kill them. <laughs> the job kills dad and the kids kill mom. And thus here we go. That humans inherit the wilderness. Genesis 3.19 By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Here's what he literally is saying to Adam. I made you out in the wilderness out of the dust and I placed you in the garden. You're going back there son and you're going to die there. We inherit the wilderness. Now We really don't need to stop there. Let's go to principle number three. Genesis 2 marriages today at best keep society from disaster. But it's a different kind of marriage which will save the world. We're going to end on some good news. When I was young, even though I wouldn't have been so simplistic to actually said it, to have said it, there was something in me that believed, you know what, you really can live on love. If you just love somebody, you'll be able to get through anything. And to a certain extent, there's truth to that, right? Life is always easier when you love someone. I was 26 years old, and a couple came in. I cannot believe a couple came in to talk to me, a 26-year-old, about marriage. But I was, their, I was actually not their pastor, but anyway, they came in to talk to me. And... Uh, I said, so what's going on? And uh, he looked at me, he said, well, I hate her guts. <laughs> right in front of her. I said, oh, you're at the wrong office. The attorney is down the street. <laughs> because if this is where we are, we're not going anywhere, right? We all understand that love covers a multitude of sins. We understand that, all right? But Genesis 2 marriage is that it just takes a man and it just takes a woman and as long as you love each other, everything's going to be okay. That only works in the Garden of Eden. It only works there. And if you're wondering, Andrea and I say this all the time, about life. Why are things so hard? Have you wondered that? Why is life so stinking hard? What's wrong? It's because we're in the wilderness. We're in the wilderness. But it's the marriage, the marriage is designed for the Garden of Eden, but there is another marriage that is spoken about that I want to introduce you to today. And it's the marriage spoken about in Ephesians 5, 31 through 33. It quotes Genesis 2, and it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let each wife see that she respects her husband. Friends, a Genesis 2 marriage is designed for an abandoned garden. It doesn't work the way it used to work. But a Christian marriage is designed after an abandoned grave. It's designed after Christ and his church. And friends, this is what we want to offer to you. It is Christian marriage built on undeserved love 
and unearned respect, which brings us to the only word that will save and keep a marriage, and it's one word, grace. Friends, if you are waiting for your marriage to be the kind of blissful place and thing that you think, well, healthy marriages are just blissful, right? You're deceived. That marriage existed one time and one time only in the Garden of Eden. And it was designed to address one problem. But now we face a host of problems. And if you think just living on love is going to address all of these problems, or as you know what, as long as I have my husband, I have my wife, it's, everything's going to be okay. Friends, you are headed for disenchantment. It may not lead to divorce, but it will lead to indifference. You may still live together, but you won't be together. If you think marriage is supposed to be like the way it was in the Garden of Eden, just by living on love. But here's how it can work. All these problems are real. And because these problems were real, Jesus came into the world to save his church. To wash us, to cleanse us, to sanctify us, to save us, to give us new life. And that relationship, not Genesis 2, but Ephesians 5, this is what we model our marriage after today. A marriage, again, that is built on undeserved love he loved us when we were unlovable and he respected us when we were unrespectable and this is how he demonstrated his love for us that's grace being given what you don't deserve that one word right there it doesn't solve every problem in a marriage but marriages built on grace will last. Marriages built on bliss won't. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. And Lord, as I think of my own shortcomings and life being so difficult as it is, Lord, it is easy to despair. But I'm reminded today that your grace is sufficient and that you love us so very much. Lord, I don't know anybody more blessed than me because I get to be married to Andrea. But Lord, keep me from believing that even my sweet life with my sweet bride is somehow immune to Genesis 3. It's not. Lord, I have to go to the New Testament where I'm reminded that sin is real and it cost Jesus greatly and he paid the price and forgives and saves us and draw from that in order to make marriage work. <coughs> Lord, there's some folks in this room that are 
angry, perhaps passively so, at their spouse for not being what they believe they should be. Lord, I pray today that that person would hear that we're not in Eden anymore and it's time to pr stop pretending that we are. And that perhaps today the first step towards healing can begin by healing of a relationship and realizing that amazing things can happen through your grace. Lord, will you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.